Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Glad you're with us. I want to welcome everybody. I I know there's people that are in town visiting family and friends that are here on a a Sunday, two days before Christmas. And so we're glad you're here. Others are traveling and they're with their family. But we're really glad all of you are here. Hope you feel welcome to be a part of our community. Uh, I did want to invite you to come back uh, tomorrow night, our Christmas Eve service at 530. It's one of my favorite services of the year. Uh, it is a candlelight lessons and carol service. Uh, and so uh, really excited about that uh, tomorrow evening. We are in the season of Advent, as you can see. Uh, the fourth week, uh, Advent, if you didn't know, means arrival or coming. And we are two days away until we celebrate as Christians the arrival of the Lord who became a child, uh, Jesus who became flesh, the Holy One who would enter this world and change it forever. And so we celebrate in two days the first coming and every day as Christians we wait for the second coming when Christ will return and heaven invades earth and God's kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is a good time of year to celebrate uh, who Jesus is and uh, every time of year is a good reason to celebrate who Jesus is, but we celebrate his coming and we anticipate his second coming in this Advent season. Uh, there's a lot of things going on during Christmas season. Uh, if you have young kids, uh, maybe preschool age like we do, there are Christmas pageants and concerts that are happening. And so this past Wednesday, uh, we went and saw our two sons participate in a Christmas concert at their preschool. And uh, all the children processed in uh, to this beautiful little sanctuary. And man, it was like royalty entered. All the parents stood up and started videoing and taking photos because it was really, really cute to see them all come in and, uh, and then see all the kids get up on the stage and they sang Away in a Manger and Jingle Bells and many others. It was, it was cute. I was taking photos and videos as well. The Christmas season, it, it can be, uh, if we allow it to be, a sentimental season for all of us. A season where we love seeing kids get on Santa's lap. Uh, Maybe we put out a nice little nativity scene. Sweet little baby Jesus and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and a beautiful angel. In North America, it's really easy to fall into sentimental Christmas or to have a sanitized version of Christmas. But what happened 2,000 plus years ago was anything but sentimental. It wasn't a sweet birth announcement. It wasn't a cake-cutting gender reveal party, an angel, Gabriel, appeared to a young poor girl and gave her an announcement that would transform her life and the world forever. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1 this morning, perhaps a familiar passage, looking at the life of Mary. Been in this Advent series, the mothers of Jesus. This is the actual birth mother of Jesus. And we're finishing our series in it this morning. This passage is known by many as the Annunciation, which means announcement. This is an angelic announcement issued from God that would change the world forever. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read God's word. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Let's give attention to God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was also called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would take the living, active word of God and apply it deep into our hearts. I pray by the, pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would illumine our minds, that our hearts would be fertile ground. I pray that that we would encounter you this morning, that you would burst forth into our lives, that your grace would burst into our hearts, into our thoughts, that we might leave here different and transformed because we've been with you. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. And favorite might be my two sons' most used word these days. This is my favorite. Our youngest loves putting puzzles together. Puzzles are his favorite. Our oldest is loving building forts and rearranging furniture in our home. He calls them his creations. Creations are his favorite. Rachel and I will say when our two boys sleep in on the weekend, it's our favorite. Growing up, my mom would look at me no matter what age I was, and she would look me in the eye and she would say, Daniel, you are my favorite 10-year-old. Daniel, you are my favorite 8-year-old. It was her way of not saying I like you more than your brother, but still letting me know I was favored by her. To be favored, to be the favorite means there is great delight in. It's to be preferred, a, a deep liking of. Luke chapter one, Luke writes that in the sixth month, which is referring to Mary's cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, greetings, O favored one. Favored by God, delighted in by God. Do you believe God favors you? Let me ask it more simply. Do you believe that God likes you? I heard someone say that if you have God's favor, you have all you need and you can have everything but no favor with God and you have nothing. My prayer is by the time we all leave this morning, every one of us would believe that God favors us that God doesn't just love you from a distance, but that God really, really likes you. 
This scene in Luke chapter 1 is an amazing scene. Angel Gabriel appears to young Mary to announce that God was going to enter the world in the form of a child being birthed through Holy Spirit impregnation. Man, we sanitize this scene. We treat angels as some cute little heavenly being. We place angels on the top of our Christmas trees. We've got one on the top of our tree. But did you know that when angels show up in the scriptures, it was not a normal day. Angels appearing would bring terror, great fear of judgment. This is why Gabriel tells Mary, be not afraid. Gabriel's appearance was horrifying. And as mighty as Gabriel is and as wonderful as Mary is, neither are the main characters of this passage. The main character of this passage is God. Look at the passage again, sent from God, the Lord is with you. You found favor with God, the Lord God, the power of the most high. Nothing is impossible with God. This scene is filled with God. He's coming to Mary, he's coming to earth. God is moving and God is telling Mary, I favor you. The announcement, the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will give birth to the king, the one the whole world has waited for and his kingdom will have no end. I'll look at two things this morning, the recipient of this announcement and the response to it the recipient and the response. I don't know if you had superlatives in your high school or if you are currently in high school, if there are superlatives, but at Pacelli High School in Columbus, Georgia, we had superlatives you know, put in the yearbook, like most likely to succeed, most athletic, best dressed, best looking, best all around, right? Superlatives in high school are a good indicator who, of who has favor, right? who gets the favor. I, I still think they're pretty good indicators of who gets favor in our culture at large, right? The good looking, the quarterback of the football team, the intelligent, in high school, the one who drove the cool car through the fun party. But in this announcement, we see who gets God's favor. Here we see the pattern of the gospel of Christianity is upside down of our world. That those who are low, those on the bottom are favored by God. Mary is the most unlikely candidate to carry in her womb the long-awaited king. Right? Surely that the son of God would come from Rome or someone with power or influence. But Mary, she's young. She's poor. She's from Nazareth. No one knew where Nazareth was. That's why Luke says the city of Galilee named Nazareth. No one even knew where it was. It was in the middle of nowhere. This is who God favors. You know, another way to translate favor is grace. Mary, you have been graced by God. That's where you've heard the prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace. God graces Mary. She is special. It's okay for us to say that. We're not venerating Mary to say she's special. She is. She gives birth to the king. And we need to be clear that Mary is not a dispenser of grace. There's nothing about Mary in and of herself that makes her special. What makes her special is that she is a recipient of God's grace. Now Mary's calling is one of a kind. 
but the thing she receives is given to normal sinners like you and I when God burst into our lives, his grace. Eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to respond. If you're a Christian here this morning, you didn't respond to God in the good news of Jesus because you were smart enough or you were special. Every single one of us have dark hearts, hard hearts, and it's not until God graces us, when God pours out his favor on us, that we can respond. In some way, the announcement that Gabriel made to Mary is an announcement made to everybody in this room this morning. God favors you. God has graced you. How? Because he sent his only son who lived a perfect life, died a death on our behalf and rose victorious to redeem and save and to establish his kingdom. Who will be the recipients of this gospel announcement? Let me tell you who is not. The proud and the arrogant. The ones who think they have it together. The ones that feel like they're a little bit helpless or the ones who know that maybe they need a little bit of help, which is a little bit of Jesus or others need Jesus more than they do. I, I can fall into being proud and arrogant often, but the ones who receive the announcement are like Mary, lowly, poor in spirit, broken and contrite. Grace is for those at the bottom, not those on the top. This is what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. God's grace does not roll uphill to the smart and put together and morally self-righteous. It rolls downhill to those who know their need and brokenness. So we can have this notion in our society that we can fall from grace. You've heard that saying before probably. We, we can fall from grace. What we mean by that is that someone's been put up on a pedestal and knocked off of it because of some mistake they've had, some failure in their life. But the gospel says we cannot fall from grace, but that our fallings, our shortcomings, our failures actually can be a fall into grace, not a fall from grace. If we allow God to meet us when we're lowly and needy, that's when he pours out his grace and we are made ready to receive it. I like what author pastor Sam Alberry wrote. He said, instead of singing, O come all ye faithful at Christmas, we really should sing, O come all ye faithless, joyless and defeated. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. That Christmas is for the weary and the messed up and for the broken. And if your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is for you. That's great news. Because many of us grew up believing that we had to work harder or perform for favor, that grace was something we could achieve. But the Christmas announcement to Mary is you don't fall from grace, you fall into grace. And the more you realize your need and your brokenness, the more ready you are to receive God's grace. So if your life's not what you pictured it, if you've messed up, you failed, you're struggling, cheer up. God offers you his favor and his call to you is not get it together. His announcement is I really, really like you. Will you receive it? 
The second thing I want us to look at is the response. You know, if you could put yourself in Mary's place. She's 12 to 14 years old, a poor peasant girl from nowhere, Nazareth. Verse 27 says she's a virgin betrothed, engaged to be married to Joseph. Angel Gabriel appears, tells her, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. Call his name Jesus. He's going to be called son of the most high. He is the king. All kinds of things had to be running through her mind. Joseph's going to desert me. I'm going to be pregnant while we're engaged and not by him. What will other people think? This could ruin her life. It might cost her her life. In verse 34, Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The first thing we see about the response is that questions and doubts are welcomed. Gabriel's announcement to Mary was mind-blowing. She doesn't say, sounds good, thanks Gabriel. She doesn't say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Faith and relationship to God is not always so simple. She says, how will this be? She questions, she doubts. If we do not have questions about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about Christianity, we're not listening to the announcement. It's mind blowing. Every other religion in the world has some belief about humanity working its way toward God. Every other ultimate belief about life hinges on humanity doing good enough or good outweighing the bad or being a loving person or meeting someone or some, some measure that's been set. However a person might define love or whatever measure someone might set. But Christianity and Christmas in particular proclaims that God moves, that God comes to us, that God entered our world and he pours out his grace on those undeserving. He welcomes the messed up and the broken. And all we do is receive this gift of grace. That's mind blowing. That's so countercultural. It is not the North American narrative that you can build it, you can achieve it, you work hard enough for it. The gospel really does seem too good to be true. Is it too simple? God, is it really true? God, what about? God, why? God, where? To be a Christian is not to be without questions. You can wrestle with him. You can ask him questions. You can have your faith and think rationally. Christianity is a thinking faith. So if you're new to Christ Central Church, we really hope our community to be a place that you can feel the freedom to wrestle and question and be where you are on your own journey. Here's the second thing, though, we see about Mary's response is that it's a response of surrender. After Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit is going to come to you and you will bear a child, the Holy One, the King, verse 38, Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me. Ultimately, Mary surrenders to God. See, surrender is the response when someone truly encounters God. Have you surrendered to God? Being a Christian is not a negotiation, right? We, we can't say, God, I will follow you, but I want control of my money. Or God, I, I, I follow you, but I want to control how I spend my time. And 
my weekends or God, I follow you, but I want to control what I do with my own sexuality. God, I follow you, but it is not a negotiation. Mary is the model of a true disciple. You see, the greatness of Mary is not just in her being the mother of Jesus, it's that she heard God speak, she believed God's word, and she obeyed him. And this would cost Mary. What would people think about her? How will Joseph respond? Yet she replies, let it be to me according to your word. Verse 38, behold, I am a servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let's look a little bit at what Mary's surrendering to. I think this is important. She is surrendering first to God in relationship. She's surrendering to, to the person of God to the Father's voice and call on her life. She's surrendering to the Holy Spirit who's gonna fill her with the life of the Holy One. She's surrendering to carry in her womb the Son of God. And she's not just surrendering to God, the person, she's also surrendering to a truth that her son would not just be a son, but the Son, the Holy One, who would build an eternal kingdom. Mary surrendered to God in relationship and surrender to the truth of Jesus is the thing that transforms her life. We too must surrender to God in relationship. He is not a God removed from us, but he is a God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is a God who leads us, speaks to us, guides us, directs us with his love and with his grace. So in relationship, we surrender to him, and at times it will cost us to go through life responding to him in relationship by saying, let it be to me according to your word. It'll cost us our reputations. It'll cost us because we will be strangers in this world, meaning we'll, we'll appear to be just a little strange. And someday it might cost us more than that in this country. In other countries around the world this very day, places like China and early rain church, people are giving up their life and their livelihood because they are surrendering to follow Jesus. So a disciple of Jesus responds to God by saying, I'm your servant. Second way of surrender is to the truth of Jesus. We have to surrender to the objective truth of Christianity, that the Son of God became a human put on flesh and dwelt among us. And in his humanity, Jesus wrestled and questioned and doubted the plan of his father. In Gethsemane, Jesus asked his father, if there was any other way than the way of the cross, let it be so. But ultimately Jesus would surrender and he would say, let it be to me. And he would be the servant of all servants. He would live a perfect human life to redeem imperfect humanity. He would die a death on a cross so that we would not have to experience death and separation from the Father. He would rise from the dead and promises to come again in the second advent. And all who surrender to the truth of Jesus will be raised to newness and life in a kingdom that will never perish or fade. And Mary's surrender, what we really see is God's grace at work in a person's life. Mary's surrender is evidence of God's favor and grace upon her. 
See, we do not surrender and then receive grace. God graces us, and our response to his grace is surrender. And as we surrender, our lives will be transformed. I heard a pastor tell this story, that there was a man named Steve who was a leader in his company. He oversaw six employees, and Steve started reading a book about loving employees. He realized that he hadn't spoken to the six people underneath him in six or so months. And so he made a point to go to each one of them and tell them why he liked them and what he admired about them. He did it individually with, with each of them. And one young man, Lenny, had been really lonely and had lost his mother in death that year. And a few days after visiting Lenny and telling Lenny why he admired him, why he liked him, Lenny showed up to Steve with a gift. It was one of the best gaming systems at that time. It, it was something Steve, a young guy in his 30s, had wanted for a while, but he, he didn't want to spend the money on it because he had a young baby and a growing family. But Lenny had heard Steve talk about it. So he went and he purchased it as a gift for Steve. And now Lenny got this money for the gift by selling a handgun, a handgun that he purchased at a pawn shop to take his own life. And Lenny told Steve this, I started a routine every night after work, eating a bowl of ramen, listening to Nirvana, and getting the gun out. It took almost a month to get the courage to put the bullets in the gun. It took another couple of months to get used to the feeling of the barrel of the gun on my teeth. And for the last few weeks, I was putting ever so slight pressure on the trigger and was getting close. And last week, you freaked me out when you came into my cubicle, put your arm around me, and told me you appreciated me and that you're glad I came into your life. That night, he said, I went home and I ate ramen. I listened to Nirvana. And when I got the gun out, it scared me silly for the first time. All I could think about was what you said and that you were glad I came into your life. The next day I went to the pawn shop and I sold the gun. I remember that you had said you wanted the game system more than anything, but with the new baby, you couldn't afford it. So for my life, you get this game. Thanks, boss. Could it mean that much to a person to have favor with a boss? Steve's favor saved Lenny's life. God's favor will save yours. Christmas isn't about sweet baby Jesus or sweet little angels or a perfect nativity scene. Please don't be overly sentimental and I'm not trying to be Scrooge. I'm actually trying to lift our eyes and our hearts to something much greater and much more wonderful. I know that every single person longs to hear God say, I really like you. I favor you. It's what every human heart was born to receive. As much as we might resist it, it's what we all need to hear and receive and surrender and believe. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite authors, wrote a story decades ago that he said is a parable for all of our lives. He said a boy 12 or 13 years old in a fit of crazy anger and depression got hold of a gun somewhere, fired it at his father. His father didn't die right away, but did soon afterward. And when the authorities asked the boy why he had done it, he said it was because he couldn't stand his father. His father demanded too much of him. He hated his father. And then later on, after he had been placed in a detention house somewhere. A guard was walking down the corridor one night and he heard 
sounds of sobbing from the boy's room and he stopped to listen. And the words that he heard the boy sobbing out in the darkness were, I want my father. I want my father. You see, even if we kill God in our hearts and in our minds through disobedience or through some false belief, we all long for the father. And he is here listening. He came once at the first advent and he is coming again. And he wants you and I to believe he really does favor us. He wants you to believe you're his favorite. Will you believe it? See, at Christmas, we celebrate that God has moved, not we to him, but he to us. He saw us in our need and our frailty and he graced us. He poured out his favor on us. The Holy One, Jesus, would enter. Emmanuel, God with us. And he is the king of a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us to hear this announcement. The good news that you have favored over us and graced us, that you delight in us, that you rejoice over us. God, we, we know that to be true because you sent your only son, Jesus, to burst into this world so that you could burst into our lives. I pray that we would receive that grace this morning, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.